Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka, the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. And we also have Helena Hodges, our Vice President of Finance and Operations as our producer. And for this episode, we are interviewing Viet Wong. Welcome, Viet. Hi. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Chris. Thank you for having me. And hello to all of my fellow ATD years in Metro DC. You are in good company today. We are just so excited about this conversation. So we're going to be talking about improv strategies for stronger teams today. But before we jump in, before we we kind of get into that conversation, what we'd really love to do is hear a little bit more about you. Yeah, thanks for asking, Stephanie and Chris. Um, so uh, I am proud to say I am one of all of you. So I consider myself first and foremost uh, a talent development professional. And on the side, I just happen to do uh, comedy improv on the stage. Uh, and so I'm actually a graduate of the Second City Conservatory, something I'm really mm, proud oh, about. Wow. Uh, and that's where all my training has come from in regards to improv. That is fantastic. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with Second City for a lot of reasons. And I think that makes you the absolute perfect person to talk with today about improv. So I'm really excited that we're we're going to be talking about it. I'll tell you before we get started, when I was little, this was probably seventh grade, eighth grade or so, I remember my father telling me that if there was one skill that I learned that would serve me well, it was mm. improv. And in fact, he encouraged me to take an improv class when I was in the eighth grade. And that started me into theater. I never looked back. Mm. So I think it's a wonderful background, especially if you're in talent development. And it also leads me to where I think it might make sense to get started for today. Improv may be a brand new topic for some of our listeners. It may be something they never considered or never considered as part of a talent development uh, you know, sort of role or what they might be able to do. So I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about what improv is, what the concept is, and you know, kind of how perhaps you have seen it used in training. I, I really appreciate that question, Stephanie. I've been doing this so long and I've been performing so long, I often forget that improv <laughs> may not come naturally to some people yeah. or they may never have had exposure to it. So yeah. just for the record, uh, improv is short for improvisation. Um, so it primarily uh, is used as an art form. However, you are so right, Stephanie and Chris. Um, I found ways to integrate it in my talent development practices. So when we talk about improv on stage, improv is simply performing without a script and without an opportunity to plan. So it's performing on stage without a script and without an opportunity to plan. And I do sometimes, uh, Stephanie and Chris, like to differentiate improv from stand-up. So stand-up is uh, where it's one person on stage. And it's typically uh, a monologue or uh, storytelling that the stand-up comedian does. Sometimes they do have interaction with the audience. The difference is in improvisation, we're working on a team uh, and all of us are creating unscripted comedy together. So that's usually how I like to describe improvisation. Mm. 
Well, and I am a big fan uh, of using it just in life. Once I stumbled upon it, and I actually did stumble upon it because I thought, oh, that's something people do on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came I came into contact with the, one of the major improv strategies of yes and. And I realized, oh my gosh, this... I mean, it's improved my life at home, at work, in the classroom, as a podcaster, as a speaker, a facilitator. And I'm sure that's one of the strategies we'll get into, but can we dive right into that? Can you tell people what yes and is? Because I think everyone needs to know about this. Yeah, great question, Chris. Um, and j- just to make a linkage with uh, what Stephanie shared earlier, I actually got into improv for the exact same reason uh, that Stephanie's father uh, wow. I, I got Did her. Really? Yeah. So my, <laughs> ment- you know, my mentor reached out to me and she said, you're doing such a great job with presentations. And she oh. said, I do notice when you're asked a question that you're not prepared for, uh, you seem uncomfortable. You're visibly uncomfortable. Mm. And she was spot on. Um, and so she said, I recommend that you consider taking an improv class. So I originally started taking improv for my own growth and development. And over time, nice. as I took more classes, I'm like, I can really use this in class. Uh, so to answer Chris's question, the yes and philosophy is super basic. Um, how I break it down is in the individual words. First, yes is simply the concept that we are going to agree with whatever our scene partners give us. So we're going to immediately move to agreement and uh, acceptance of what they've given us. And I do want to spend just a little bit of time explaining why that's important. Uh, so when we're on the improv stage together, uh, as I mentioned before, improv is non-scripted and unplanned. So if your director gets up on stage and asks the audience for a suggestion, you are going to find out the suggestion the exact same time your team members are. Your director is going to exit the stage and all of a sudden the spotlight is on all of you on stage to come up with a scene together. It really is important that in improv, we listen closely to our scene partners, especially the first person who gets the idea out. Uh, that's where yes really comes in. Uh, so let's say, for instance, that our director asks the audience for a location and And the audience says, a zoo. Uh, In my mind, I might be thinking to myself, well, I'm I'm at the concession stand. If my teammate gets the first line out and my teammate says uh, that we're actually in a cage, I now need to jump right to yes and drop my (laughs) idea. Uh, And we are now in the cage, even though in my mind, I thought we're in a concession stand. We're going to buy popcorn. We're going to get sodas. If my scene partner has said that we're in a cage, I'm going to immediately jump to yes. That's the acceptance uh, of my scene partner's idea. The and is the acknowledgement that I have something amazing, creative, and wonderful to contribute. Uh, So once I've accepted the idea of my teammates, I'm going to now add my own creative idea that builds on the ideas that have been established by others. Now's my chance. If we're in a cage, I may make the choice that we're animals in a cage. Uh, and I know that all of my teammates on stage are going to support me with that idea. That's as simple as yes and. It's the uh, acceptance of others' ideas. And and is simply our own contribution to move the scene forward uh, based on the ideas of everyone else. 
Can you give an example of how this would play out on like an organizational team? Yeah. So maybe a meeting or something? Yeah, really great question. I get this question a lot. So um, I, I, I'm often brought into organizations to help them brainstorm uh, ideas. What I find is when we're in the boardroom brainstorming ideas, we often start – uh, we often start evaluating those ideas real time. Yeah. <laughs> so someone will throw out an amazing idea and we immediately jump to evaluate it, which is our natural tendency. In organizations, we have scarce resources, whether it's money or time. Uh, and so we immediately evaluate the idea. Our opportunity in the boardroom is to say, we're going to dedicate a full 15 or 20 minutes to the brainstorming process. And we're going to use a yes and philosophy. So when an idea comes out, before we start to evaluate it, we are going to yes and it by accepting that idea and building our other ideas on what has already been established. Uh, that's one of the best ways I've found how we can add yes and uh, to an organizational context is just to allow us to fully brainstorm and explore ideas before we start evaluating it. I love that too, because that also really brings in the spirit of inclusion for a lot of teams. If you throw out an idea, you don't have to worry it's going to be rejected. You don't yeah. have to worry about people, you know, maybe kind of laughing at it or making you feel as though it wasn't a valuable contribution to the conversation. I would love to hear a little bit about some of the benefits that you've seen for teams that are incorporating improv into their work. I'm assuming inclusion would be a big part of it, but what are some of the other things either you've experienced or you've seen that have, you know, kind of improved how teams are working together? So Stephanie, I'm going to virtually high five you on that one. <laughs> I'll take the high five. <laughs> so good, Stephanie. The inclusion is something that in the last few years I have found uh, to be so critical and uh, in organizations. And it's something that improv actually helps us with. So a lot of the work I'm doing right now is based on psychological safety. Mm -hmm. um, and psychological safety on teams has been found to be the number one correlate with team performance. There's a fantastic study from Google. It's called Project Aristotle, in case you want to check it out, Project Aristotle. Yeah. Um, and again, it says that uh, teams that have psychological safety have greater performance than those that do not have psychological safety. Um, what I have found is that improvisation provides us the behavior that actually leads to psychological safety. So the term psychological safety can be a bit nebulous. A lot of people will ask me, well, how do we get to psychological safety? Uh, a researcher by the name of Charles Duhigg, who wrote uh, a fantastic book called The Power of Habit, he did some research mm -hmm. as well. And he said, there's really only two behaviors associated with psychological safety. Behavior number one is equality and conversational turn-taking. And that is to say everyone on the team has roughly about the same opportunity uh, to speak and contribute. The second behavior, he says, that leads to greater psychological safety on teams is called ostentatious listening. And that is to say, when someone else speaks, everyone else is fully present, yes. practicing eye contact, practicing openness, 
and remains completely present and focused in on listening to the other person's contribution as opposed to judging it in our mind. Those are the two behaviors that I've found that we actually do on the improv stage. And so just by practicing improv, we can help our organizations create cultures of psychological safety. Yeah, I love incredible that active listening is, or what did you call it? Ostent- Ostentatious listening. Ostentatious. Yes. Great. That's great. <laughs> I love that listening is foundational for that because I think honestly, that's the number one skill. Um, well, okay. Number one, listening. Second, yes, and, but they're kind of part of each other that mm. all humans should have. I love yeah. that, Chris. Sometimes people will <laughs> ask me, what is the process of improv? Um, and they assume I'll start with a yes and. Chris is 100% <laughs> right. I always start <laughs> with being fully present and truly listening. Even before you can yes and, you got to be fully present and listening. I love that, Chris. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely go hand in hand. I'm curious too, you know, I'm thinking improv is such a great tool to use. In fact, it's a great set of tools when you think about it. And I remember how I felt day one of that class that I took. And I don't think it was because I was in eighth grade. I think it's because sometimes improv can feel a little scary. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering what thoughts, suggestions, tips you may have for people if they're thinking about improv as a strategy, a solution, a way that they might be able to connect and listen better. How might you get comfortable with improv? Great question, Stephanie. Um, The easiest way I've, I've found to help others get comfortable with improv is to ask them to focus in on the process, not the comedy. So even when I introduce mm, yeah. improv, sometimes I'll drop comedy. And the truth is there's actually a bunch of really great troops all across the country that perform dramatic improvisation. So improvisation is simply the process of uh, performing uh, without a script or an opportunity to plan. That's all it is. Um, People get a little nervous when they think about it only in the context of comedy. So what I do is when I talk about improv, I really focus in on the process. And that is some basic things that we do. And Chris already did such a good job of queuing it up. Number one is just to stay present and fully engaged and listening to one another. Yeah. Next is to accept the ideas of others. Next after that is to allow ourselves to honor our creativity by contributing and building on the ideas of others. And then lastly, I always encourage people just to stay agile uh, to an ever-changing environment and be comfortable that teamwork is the only way we'll reach a shared narrative because we're all on the same stage together because we are not planning. We are creating a shared narrative that only happens when we allow ourselves to collaborate. Nowhere in there, Stephanie, did I use the word be funny. uh, There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Although it's helpful. No, I'm kidding. It, It can be, but you know, it also blurs that line. A lot of people worry that they have to entertain in order to train, for example. And there are a lot of times where there's a big difference between the yes. two. You don't have to get up there and leave them laughing. You have to get up there and make sure that you've addressed something, a performance gap, a knowledge gap, given them tools, help them understand what they're supposed to do when they leave a session with you or a meeting with you. So I'm so glad you clarified
sci-fi too that doesn't have to be about comedy. It's great, by the way, if it is. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. Stephanie, if I could give one other tip on that one. I love it. Uh, especially yeah. for all of your practitioners out there. If you simply set uh, the foundation that uh, everything we do today uh, falls still in the same guidelines we have every single day at the office, which is to say that we use respectful language uh, mm. and we use respectful physical contact. When you frame uh, an improv session uh, in in those words, people immediately know the expectation is we are going to treat each other exact same as we do every single day in this organization. It just happens we're going to use a slightly different tool today uh, to allow us to become better listeners and uh, freely mm-hmm. contribute uh, our creativity. Nice. And a common misconception that I have found, well, maybe... It- a uh, scary point for people is the the thinking on your feet aspect. Mm. They think, oh, you know, improv, I can't think on my feet. It, what are your suggestions or thoughts? Uh, how, how do you address that? Great question, Chris. And believe it or not, Chris, I've, I've probably been on stages over a thousand times in my years wow. of doing uh, improv. Um, I will tell you, I uh, I still get nervous about thinking about uh, thinking on my feet. So I just want to mm-hmm. add that disclaimer. Uh, something I will say that's helpful, Chris, is just as a gentle reminder, everything happens step by step. What you're really doing yes. is just listening and responding to the last yes. thing your scene partner gave you. You don't have to think three or four steps ahead. In fact, that can be dangerous because the audience is watching and the audience wants to go along this journey with you. Mm-hmm. So the slow step by step is helpful for not only you, it's helpful for the audience as well. Uh, and so when we feel ourselves um, perhaps being a little concerned that something won't come to us or we have to think spontaneously, the best recommendation I always have is to stay present, listen to yes. the last thing said, let it affect you and respond using the yes and philosophy. Yeah. Well, I love that too, because oftentimes I think it could be, it's a focus uh, that takes the focus away from being on us and our ego on, and thinking about what do I need to say next to sound, you know, we, we all want to sound smart, smart or whatever, (laughs) educated, educated, funny for the moment, whatever. Yeah. Right. So that kind of takes the pressure off of us. And, and has us focus on other and then building on that, which I love. If we did that more in the workplace, I think the world would be a better place. Chris, I love how you express that. Um, I do, I do a <laughs> lot of uh, coach training. And so when I work with coaches, especially people new to the professional coaching world, they often get stuck in their head about what's the next brilliant question I'm going to mm-hmm. ask. Yes. You don't have to do yes. that. All you have to do is nope. remain completely present. Listen to what your coachee yeah. is saying and ask a logical question that builds on what they're already talking about at hand. You don't have to think three yes. or four steps. In fact, that's dangerous in the coaching session. What we want to Absolutely. do is stay what's at hand right now because uh, by asking what's immediately on your coachee's mind, you're probably getting to the of what the the real issue or the real concern or the real opportunity is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And actually, it also gets me thinking about one point I'd love to touch on as before we run out of time, because I know we've got we've got a lot of people out there certainly who are part of teams who 
would certainly benefit from using improv there. I think coaching is another great example. But I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas around incorporating improv into perhaps a training session that you Mm. might be developing. If you are a facilitator, for example, perhaps you're an instructional designer and you're thinking about what you can do to create an engaging experience, what have you seen or how have you seen improv benefit a training session? Great question, Stephanie. So the one of the very first classes uh, I taught where I incorporated improvisation was like an art of conversation class. It was for a regional bank and their personal bankers and tellers really wanted to get comfortable having conversation so that they can listen for potential other needs that their current customers may have that the bank could resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found is is um, a, a simple exercise where two people sit face to face and they hold a conversation. The catch is one person's sentence must begin with the mm. last letter of the last word that the other person gave. So for instance, Stephanie, <laughs> if you and I were doing this, Stephanie, and Oh no. <laughs> and we are, aren't we? We are. <laughs> Excellent. You just helped me set up this perfectly. So you said we are which is A-R-E. So my Mm -hmm. word is excellent. And I gave you my contribution is you are helping me set this up perfectly. So now your next sentence will be a Y perfectly ends with a Y. Yes, I am. That's exactly what I'm doing in order to illustrate this very important point. Talk about perfect timing, Stephanie. Thank you so much for making this happen. So, so, so what, what happens, Stephanie, is you and I have to slow down just a little bit. I can't think in my head how I'm going to respond because I have to wait until you finish that last mm, word yeah. of your sentence before I can respond. That makes me stay fully present. And that was an exercise I used with this regional bank. Um, another one uh, that I love that Chris brought up is uh, just exercises that help us with the concept of yes and, uh, mm-hmm. which is how do we, um, in customer service classes, help our learners stay fully present. So a simple one I like to use is called Red Ball. Um, we're passing an imaginary ball. Um, and it's a red ball. It's roughly the size and weight of a basketball. Uh, and so person one will make perfectly good eye contact with someone who is standing around a circle. It can be up to eight to 12 participants. Uh, so person one will make perfectly good eye contact with person two. Um, they will say red ball and then pass the red ball using a chest pass. Person two will catch the red ball and say, thank you, red ball. And they'll do the exact same thing with person three and so on. At some point, I introduce a gray ball, which is roughly the size and weight of a ping pong ball. And it's passed with an underhand pass. And we do the exact same thing. So at some point, there's two balls floating around, a red ball and a gray ball. When you use an exercise like that before a customer service class, what you're really able to promote is the idea that as customer service representatives, the most important thing we can do is have heightened awareness of our environment. Are we paying attention to every customer? Do we acknowledge them within a minute of them coming into our store? or our work area. We want to make sure that they feel welcome. So what are we doing to stay heightened at all times and pay attention? Mm. And then if you're passing the ball, the question is uh, to ask our participants, what did you do to ensure that the person was ready to receive the ball? Mm. 
Uh, and mm. Responses I often get is I made sure that they were fully present and they made eye contact back. And then before a customer service class, I'll ask, what can we do to make sure that our customers are ready to receive our messages before we start giving our message and communicating with them? What can we do to ensure that they're fully ready to receive our message? Those are two uh, quick examples of how we can incorporate improv exercises to actually reinforce the behaviors that allow us for excellence in customer service and excellence in interpersonal communication. Mm. Those are fabulous examples. No, you're supposed to start with an N. I know. I know. I was actually thinking about that as See, I started Did you get it? That. No, you're supposed to start with an N. great. <laughs> Sorry. That was good. <laughs> oh. Oh, I get it. The time has flown by. It wow. Really has. I could talk about this forever. I, I know. I know. I could too. Trust well, me. <laughs> well, we know people are going to want to learn more. So we'll make sure and have links so people can, can look you up and get more information from you. Perfect. Uh, in the show notes. So we are at that point at every episode <laughs> where we ask some rapid fire questions. <laughs> And normally I ask, are you ready? But I know you're ready because you're, you, you got improv skills. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so first one, what is one book everyone must read and why? Okay. Um, okay. So mine is how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. So I will add the disclaimer. Sometimes when I share that book, uh, people will tell me that they found the title to be very Machiavellian. Um, and the <laughs> truth is, if you read the book, it's the exact opposite. Dale Carnegie gives strategies to me that uh, focus in on how do we authentically learn and care about the other person across from us. Mm, and that's really right. how he's promoting winning friends or uh, um, influencing people uh, and winning friends. Uh, so that's, that's why it's my number one book recommendation. Nice. I know there's a lot out there. It's hard to choose. Yeah. Yep. Okay. What is one tool, and you can define that however you'd like, that you can't live without? Okay. I actually have it here. Uh, Ooh. It's a journal. At all times, I keep a journal. So I Aww. ideate nonstop. And it's it's a little bit like popcorn. One second, it's there. The next second, it's gone. So uh -huh. I find that I have to write things down, and I can always revisit them. So the journal is a tool I cannot live without. Nice. Um, okay. Oh, and your final piece, or what is your final piece of advice? What is the best <laughs> advice that you've received uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners and viewers? I'm sure everyone was guessing that I was going to say yes and would be my advice. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Um, the best piece of advice I've ever been given is implement now, perfect later. Sometimes mm -hmm. in my mind, I can find that I'll want to play out every scenario so I can have the best outcome. And I'll sit on something for a really long time. Uh, what I have learned over time uh, from the guidance of a lot of people who care about me, just get started. You can figure everything else yeah. if you just get started. That's fantastic advice. Honestly, I think it's something a lot of us 
really need to keep in mind and actually is a really nice way to start to close out today. First of all, Viet, this has been a fantastic conversation. Really, really fun. And I think a lot of people are going to walk away, certainly with some new ideas, but perhaps even a little bit of confidence Mm. that improv is something that they would would like to bring to their team or to their next training and try. So I am really grateful that you shared the beauty of the unscripted and the unplanned with all of us. Thank you, Stephanie and Chris, for having me. Um, I loved what you said, Stephanie. I'm going to yes and you. I really wanted to go on this uh, podcast because I agree with you. Talent development professionals are exactly the right people to bring improv into your organizations because what you do is connect the learning with your organizational outcomes. Improv is only half of it. The other half is making it meaningful to the learning process so that we can actually achieve the outcomes our organizations expect of us. I love what you said. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we are so, so glad that you joined us. And of course, a big thank you to all of you in our community for joining us today as well. And before you go, we do have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you a member of the Metro DC chapter of ATD? We have resources just for you. Go to dcatd.org and select the members-only section of resources to access our digital library, member directory, and chapter documents. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review. 